1: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me as always is Justin Mello and we were sad that last week's episode was indeed our last game preview of the 2022 season, but no matter, Titans fans got news they were hoping for on Monday. Justin, what's up?
2: What a busy day, right? I mean, what what a way for us to start our off-season, right? And record our first off-season episode because you know, typically, uh, you know, it can be a slow period and tough to record and I'm sure there'll be episodes where we we don't have a whole lot to talk about. This is not one of those episodes. <laughs> a lot happened for the Tennessee Titans this week.
1: Yeah, the Titans are involved in GM candidate interviews. We're going to talk about that coaching staff changes that's probably what we're going to lead off this thing with we're going to get into a tiny little recap of the titans jags game which i feel like most people have already moved on from the titans disappointed uh i'll just say you know it really sucks to watch your team lose when they're winning for like the entire game and then one bad play semi-fluky play defensive touchdown leads to the loss But it is what it is. We'll get into a little bit of Titans, Jags, and then we're going to cover what Mike Vrabel said in his press conference today and how that could impact this Titans offseason because I got to say, Justin, the 2023 Tennessee Titans are going to look a lot different, I think, than the 2022 Tennessee Titans. But let's start with the headlines that happened just before we started recording this podcast. The Titans have parted ways with four members of their coaching staff. Todd Downing is the big name on the list. Offensive coordinator. It will no longer be a member of the Titans coaching staff, but in addition, O-line coach Keith Carter, secondary coach Anthony Midget, and offensive skill assistant Eric Frazier will not be returning to the team. Your instant reaction, go. Well, with Todd Downing, it was
2: a move that, that had to be made, right? I think it was, for the most part, a no-brainer. I think some Titans fans may have feared that it wasn't going to happen. You saw Mike Vrabel talk earlier on Monday and said, we'll evaluate those things. It'll it'll happen throughout the week. And lo and behold, the news broke just, what, at two hours, three hours after his press conference. So safe to assume his mind was already made up right uh, before that press conference. But, you know, they wanted to break it their way. Um, it, it had to happen. Again, I, I think if, if you feared it wasn't going to, you probably look at, oh, well, they retained you know, Shane Bowen after that one year where the defense was really terrible. And I think someone had asked Mike Vrabel about loyalty, loyalty to his coaching staff, because I think there's sometimes been the notion that he's loyal to a fault. Again, that's sort of what we initially blamed the, the Shane Bowen stuff on, although it turned out Vrabel knew exactly what he was doing, and Bowen's a pretty good defensive coordinator. Uh, if you paid attention to the way Vrabel answered that question about loyalty, he said – uh, well, I think I always do what's best for the football team, and and clearly showing, you know, no mercy here, rightfully so, firing Todd Downing after what was uh, an awful year for the Titans offense. Obviously, a lot of challenges with injuries and and personnel, not having appropriate players at left tackle and multiple other offensive line positions, and certainly at wide receiver. With that said, I think we were in agreement that Todd Downing's not a good offensive coordinator. Several times throughout the year, we'd scratch our heads about, you know, play calls in in crucial situations, and he'd have to go up there and, and explain himself the following day. There was the tight end end around in like week one or two. I think with Chigga Quanquo that failed miserably, um, the Malik Willis fumble where he brought him in in off the off the bench cold against the Colts, and and several instances like that, right, where, where you kind of point to the play call and wonder what they were, what Todd Downing was thinking specifically. I want to get into these other firings, but I want to give you a chance to to kind of you know rebuttal and and respond to everything I said because it, it's obviously something that had to happen here with Todd Downing.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm in full agreement with everything you just said. Um, you just can't look at you can't watch this offense in 2022 and not think that changes needed to be made at the top level. And Mike Vrabel, you know, he doesn't call offensive plays. He doesn't call defensive plays either. Obviously, he has huge input in how the offense is designed in terms of like what kind of identity they want to be. And you're limited by offensive line injuries, by lack of receiving weapons, by lack of speed in general on the offense and on the team. But None of that excuses uh, going an entire season where you fail to score more than 27 points in an, in a, a single game. The Titans are the only team in the NFL that failed to score above 27 points in at least one game this year. On their seven-game losing streak that they closed the season with, they failed to score over 20 in six of seven games. If they had scored over 20 in all seven of those games, they they would have won four of them based on how many points the opponent scored. And granted, they gave up you know 30 plus a few times in that streak, but Going four and three over a seven-game stretch is a lot better than going 0-7, obviously. And, and the offense, we talked about it all season long, was holding this team back from reaching its full potential as a franchise. And, you know, the one thing I wonder about all this, and we won't find this out until 2023 season really starts, but... How much of the Derrick Henry-centric offense was coming from the top down, as in from Mike Vrabel? How much of that was Todd Downing evaluating his pieces and saying, we got to build an offense around Derrick Henry? Like Obviously, nobody would dispute that Henry is the Titans' best offensive player. But at 2022, in the modern era of NFL football, when you got Josh Allens and Joe Burrows and Patrick Mahomes and other quarterbacks out there running around the, the Behind the line of scrimmage and making an incredible plays with their arms and winning games by passing the ball. How many times do you hear it's a passing league? You just can't really rely on an offense that only like if Derrick Henry is a huge part of your offense, that's great. You got to have a passing game that complements it and not only complements it, but takes advantage. Of the fact that defenses are going to be stacking the box, they're going to be king on the run. How many first and 10 runs into loaded fronts, five and six-man defensive line fronts did we see the Titans consistently do over and over and over again? Will that continue under a new offensive coordinator? Was Mike Vrabel the one saying, we got to run Henry, we got to run Henry, set up the play action or whatever the heck you know the philosophy or the logic behind that might have been? We won't know that until 2023. But I don't think there's anyone that would argue that a change needed to be made at offensive coordinator And my biggest curiosity is, are they going to stick with somebody who runs, you know, the outside zone West Coast style offense? Are they going to bring in some innovation and try, you know, to do something to compete with the Bengals and the Bills and the Chiefs and the other teams that are passing the ball at such a high level in this league?
2: I've always I want to respond to what you said there first. I've always... Assumed that Mike Vrabel's a big fan of running the football and is a big fan of Derrick Henry, and that that could be a Vrabel centric thing. Now, I'm totally speculating there, but. We've seen this throughout multiple offensive coordinators, right? The reliance, at times, over-reliance on Derrick Henry. Um, I think against Jacksonville the other night, they ran on like 10 or 11 straight first downs or something crazy, right? Like It was just so obvious every first down, first play of the drive was going to be a running play with Derrick Henry, and they were rarely successful with that, right? So this vanilla sort of predictable offense, how much of that is Rabel? how much is downing? You said it, we'll find out. One thing I I will say in, in defense of it is, Uh, they're playing to the strength of their team, right? Like it's, you rather them run Derrick Henry or you rather them target Chris Conley and whoever the hell else on first down, right? Like it's, unfortunately, John Robinson hamstrung this team in 2022 with a terrible offensive line and terrible wide receivers for the most part, right? So while I do think Vrabel's always been a run first, Derrick Henry centric kind of guy, I think they really didn't have a choice in 2022 based on how this roster was built.
1: It's true. And if you look at the game plan for for Saturday night's game, and I think the best way to recap this Jacksonville game, honestly, is just to like bring it up when we want to make a point about everything else we're talking about, as opposed to going through the game, like play by play, like we normally do. So, you know, you look at the game plan for Saturday night and it was obviously control the ball, control the time of possession, be methodical on offense and like wear down the Jacksonville defense. And for the most part, it worked. And, you know, the Derrick Henry centric offense, it was not very effective on first down, but they were pretty dang good on second down and on getting into third and shorts. And even, you know, when they couldn't convert those third and shorts, getting to fourth and shorter and converting those. And they moved the ball so well, they scored on four straight possessions. Granted, three of those were field goals, but they did score on four straight possessions. And they were in full control of that game. And then you look at third down, and I think it was third and six. It's like four minutes, four and a half minutes to go in the game, something like that. And they run a straight drop back pass. Tight ends are not involved in the protection scheme. Running back, leaking out of the backfield, not involved in the protection scheme. Jacksonville brings a blitz. You're asking Josh Dobbs, who's been on the roster for two weeks, who's starting his second NFL game in six years, who, you know, played admirable football, but is not the guy that's going to go win the game with his arm. Like that's not, You're not relying on Josh Jobs to do that, but you ask him to drop back with a five man protection on third and six with four and a half minutes left with Jacksonville being aggressive in the second half, all second half. They're being so aggressive and ask him to make a straight drop back pass against a defensive line that has been crushing your offensive line that has three backups in the game and ask him to make that pass on that play. That's the play that the Titans season ended on is. You know, the, the blitzer comes screaming off the edge. Josh Dobbs doesn't see him. Doesn't get the ball out in time fumble. Maybe it was a pass. They didn't really review it, but whatever. They confirmed it after the touchdown. So it was a fumble return for a touchdown. Jacksonville wins the game on that play. Why are you throwing the ball on third and six with no pass protection help from your tight end or your running backs against a defensive line. That's killing you all game long. Just hand it off and punt and put Jacksonville way deep in their own territory. Your defense has been playing well all game. You've only allowed 13 points. I think that could be a huge reason. I mean, obviously, it's not on one play. It's the season. But that's just kind of a microcosm of why, you know, in the big moments when you need your offensive coordinator to, like, be creative and smart and help your players, it didn't happen. And that was, like, such a a representation of that.
2: I'm going to disagree with you in all honesty, and I hope listeners appreciate it because we rarely disagree. Number one, I thought they had to throw the football there. I thought you should be aggressive and try to go win. You pick up that first down, you win the game, essentially, right? So I appreciated the decision to throw the football there and then the other the other reason I'm gonna I'm gonna push back is and again I can't take full credit for it uh, if you go to Kurt Warner's Twitter he's got a phenomenal video on that play and uh, he pointed to the way the Titans the Titans excuse me slid protection I believe to the right and how they sort of um, exposed that left side of the line and allowed that Blitzer to come through untouched and on top of it uh, you, I, I can't remember what receiver it was but Kurt Warner pointed out Jane they got a receiver Burks. running yeah, running free on the slant, where it's like he's got seven yards of separation, right? The DB's playing so far off, and you got the blitz. Like, it's an easy pitch and catch, right? Like, that's what Josh Dobbs has to do on that play. He's got to th- he's got to get the ball out quickly to Traylon Burks. And-, and a starting caliber quarterback, in all honesty, does, I think, get that ball to Traylon Burks, pick up the first down, and the Titans probably win the AFC South, right? So I, I thought that was more on Dobbs than anything. Uh, that play I like the decision to throw the ball I thought yeah yeah you've got the blitzer streaming off the edge but you've also got a receiver wide earlier in the game didn't he I think there was an instance where they they came with the blitz and he got it to his hot receiver within yeah, like 1 like 2 seconds no, one of, of the
1: first one of the first plays of the game that happened yeah
2: yeah second second and a half they picked up 7 8 positive yards that's what he's got to do there he's got to take his hot hot receiver on the slant hit him it's it's a first down and I think Dobbs missed that one there in all honesty and I think that's the difference between competent backup play, which Dobbs did give them and high level starting quarterback play. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick mahomes they don't miss that. Throw. I mean, even lower level quarterbacks in that who are still you know, the Tannehill. 10th, 11th, 12th best starter <laughs> in the league. Daniel Jones maybe,
1: right? Derek Carr makes that throw, I think, and picks up the first down and you win the football game. Ryan Tannehill makes that throw. But that's also part of my point is that Todd Downing knows he has a backup journeyman, second start ever. And clearly. Obviously, yeah, the protection scheme was to slide right and let the free blitzer come, but that's the blind side of the quarterback. And Dobbs clearly never sees it. I mean, whether or not the offensive line knows that's coming, Dobbs did not see that. And yeah, obviously, it's on Josh Dobbs. But I'm talking about putting players in a position to succeed. You had a running back in the backfield at the start of that play, he immediately leaks out. He doesn't stay to help. He doesn't, I mean, that running back hits the blitzer, boom, the pass is out, and you're Winning the AFC South, but that's part of you know the protection scheme, and that all comes from the offensive of coordinator. So that's granted. You're playing with like Jonathan Ward, who has even like this is what his second game, even suiting up for the Titans. So like maybe he doesn't know the. Out to Jonathan either. Ward who picked up that first down though, right? That was
2: an unbelievable individual effort. If Titans won that game. I think it would have had a thousand uh, word article ready on that play because that would have, might have been the most underrated play of the game of their season if, if they won that game. Right. Before we pivot to anything else. We have to talk. We got to continue with Todd Downing, offensive yeah. coordinator fired in Tennessee. What next?
1: What next? So, I haven't even really given much thought to what candidates could be out there, but you got to be looking at quarterback coaches for some of the best teams, the best offenses in the league. I would think you got to be looking at some college offensive coordinators who want to make that jump. Do you have um guys in mind that the Titans might be looking at? This literally just happened. So, we don't have rumors or reports or connections or interviews or whatever. Um what do you think? Well, I think it was
2: Tom Pilicero or Albert, be- uh, Albert Breer. Excuse me. They were quick to mention on Twitter two names that certainly don't surprise me. I think we could make some easy connections, too. Uh, the first one was Tim Kelly, right? Of course, who's already on staff as their passing game coordinator. It would be very Titans-like, right? Somewhat anti-climatic to just promote Tim Kelly um, to the role. And the second name he floated out there was Bill O'Brien, right? Who, who Mike Vrabel coached with. Uh, in Houston, obviously under him, right? He was, uh, I believe, the linebackers coach and defensive coordinator for Bill O'Brien with the Houston Texans. That's how Vrabel started his NFL coaching career. Bill O'Brien, of course, an expired contract, if you're not aware, um, at the collegiate level, was the offensive coordinator for Alabama. Contract has expired. Apparently no really discussions to bring him back to Alabama. And Bill O'Brien is ready to make the jump back to the NFL. That's been the indication for several weeks. Uh, with these two names, I'll say this. I don't hate either of them by any stretch of the imagination. I'll start with Tim Kelly. I think Tim Kelly was a good offensive coordinator with the Houston Texans. I thought he got a bit of a raw deal there. Everyone in Houston's got a raw deal over the last two years, yeah, right? Firing okay. David Kelly after a one and done. Now firing Lovey Smith after another one and done. I think Tim Kelly's a good offensive mind, a good offensive coordinator. Um, he's a name we floated here years ago, right? I think when they initially named Todd Downing. Offensive coordinator, then Kelly ends up coming over here anyway as a passing game coordinator. I I think you'd be silly to draw too many conclusions or too many negative conclusions on Tim Kelly from what the Titans fielded this year. Again, we talked about some of the challenges at, at left tackle and across the offensive line where this couldn't be a traditional drop back passing offense. We talked about the lack of talent at receiver. Um, I'm not going to ding Tim Kelly too much for for how this passing offense operated this year. They started three different quarterbacks. So uh, I I put more stock into what the good – tim kelly did in houston than i do the bad or quote-unquote the bad he may or may not have done in one year here in tennessee so i do think tim kelly's a, a good candidate uh what i'm going to say about bill o'brien may also be unpopular i think he's a good candidate as well uh i thought bill o'brien's a, a damn good football coach i think yep. bill o'brien the general manager ruined bill o'brien the coach's reputation right yes, because I fully bill, agree how many that. years were right? How many years was Tennessee trailing Houston in the AFC South? Bill O'Brien did a lot. They won the division multiple times. They went to the playoffs multiple times. When he inherited personnel control... And I don't like any coaches having personnel control, For in all honesty. They're all bad at it. Bill Belichick's terrible at it. He's the greatest head coach of all time, right? When he inherited that control and they traded DeAndre Hopkins and all these weird personnel moves started uh, occurring, that's when Bill O'Brien ran himself out of Houston. But I do think he's got a good offensive mind. I think he uh, is a good offensive coordinator and can certainly come here and and call plays for this team. Now, I do wonder... Because for for weeks now they've been floating uh, his name in New England for him to be the offensive right. coordinator with the Patriots. Obviously, he started there, right, many moons ago. Has a great relationship with Bill Bill Belichick. Has a good relationship with Vrabel. I'd be very curious to see which job he would prefer out of the two. Because in all honesty, neither of them are very good right now, right? I don't think any of them look that appealing. Like Patriots, I you know I think Mac Jones is an okay quarterback, not convinced he's a franchise guy they don't have a ton they got more, probably more talent at the pass catching positions than the titans do right now in all honesty with i think Devonte parker hunter henry even a, a john new smith jacoby myers these guys are better than what tennessee has but it's not great and tennessee could easily catch up to them in, in one off season right from a, a pass catching talent perspective is it ryan Tannehill? is it another quarterback is it a rookie how does he view that situation versus what mac jones has showed in new england so if I was a betting man, I would lean that Bill O'Brien lands in New England, in all honesty, and, and goes back to Bill Belichick,
1: but certainly can't write him off. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think we'll just have to see where what rumors come out, what interviews come out, and we'll form our opinions as we go from there. But do you want to talk about the other three coaches that were dismissed?
2: Yeah. uh, Keith Carter, the most notable one, in my opinion, that's I I floated earlier on this show that I wanted to talk about some of the other changes. I really want to talk about Keith Carter. That's the one that surprises me out of all the firings. Um, I I thought Keith Carter's or I think sorry, I think Keith Carter is a good offensive line coach. I think he's done a good job. In fact, if, I were, if, if they didn't fire Keith Carter and I had to write an article on potential offensive coordinator candidates, I would have wondered if Keith Carter would have been one of them for, for one reason uh, mainly. As a wide zone offense and an outside zone uh, scheme type of team, um, I think the O line coach is so important to the identity because the offensive line is so important to the success of outside zone. And I've, I think Keith Carter's done a really good job in Tennessee. I thought he was dealt a raw hand this year, right? Again, with I, I don't know what he's supposed to do with Dennis Daly at uh, left tackle, and then a rookie right tackle and Nicholas petit friere who probably wasn't expected to win the job in training camp, right? They initially thought that was going to be Dylan Radis. Then the late season injuries to Ben Jones and, and, and Nate Davis. I don't know that Keith Carter could have done a better job this year, and I and I don't know, um, and I do think he's done a great job in in previous years. Now, where my mind is going with this is. You fire Todd Downing. Now, you've you, again, we saw that one coming. It was obvious. But you fire Keith Carter with him. To me, and I'm totally speculating, it does insinuate that they do want to bring in a new scheme and get away from this outside zone looks. Because, again, I think Keith Carter, offensive line, it was so important to the identity of this offense. I would be surprised if you fire Keith Carter and you just hire a quote-unquote like for like replacement and, and you stick with a, you know an offensive line coach that's well-versed in this System, uh, it could insinuate the Titans are willing to go in a totally different direction altogether.
1: I was thinking that too because typically your offensive line coaches, like uh, maybe they don't always have the title, but they usually fulfill the duties of like a run game coordinator, right? So I know that Keith Carter was hugely involved in the Titans' run game, and as you were talking about, you know that outside zone-based running scheme and. We had thought that Keith Carter did a good job because, you know, we'd seen him coach up backups and we saw like Nate Davis make tremendous progress as a rookie offensive lineman. We saw like backups like Aaron Brewer come and play in spot duty last season and play well. And, and we had always just kind of assumed, and you know, David Questenberry too, coming in for Taylor Lawan and all, all the Dennis Kelly, all the backups that had to play throughout Keith Carter's tenure as the offensive line coach here. We generally thought he was doing a good job, but you know, maybe make, Maybe he wasn't. We don't know. This is a this is a hard one to really make a judgment on because we don't know how these meetings go. We don't know what's happening in practice. All we know is that Mike Vrabel decided he wasn't doing a good enough job. And it could be because they want to completely change directions of the offense, like you were saying. And I was thinking the same thing, like they maybe want to change the entire, you know, philosophy of their offense. And they want to bring in an offensive line coach that has experience or a relationship or at least knowledge of the system that whoever the new offensive coordinator is going to be, would know, but you would think, I mean, I'm just totally guessing and speculating and trying to connect dots or not connect dots or whatever you want to call it. But you'd think if Tim Kelly was the front runner for offensive coordinator, he'd have no problem working with Keith Carter. Um, maybe that's totally miss. Maybe I'm misreading that and maybe it's not related at all. But it makes me think they are going to go outside the organization for this offensive coordinator hire. And what's interesting to me about, you know, all these vacancies is who's going to have the say on the coaching staff? Is Mike Vrabel going to have final say over who he wants to hire as his assistant coaches? Is the general manager going to suggest some guys, maybe you should look at this offensive coordinator, maybe you should look at this offensive line coach, you know, who knows what kind of input the new general manager will have, which leads me to my point. We might not see any of these vacancies filled until the new general manager is in place.
2: Yeah, one thing, I'm sorry, before we pivot to general managers, the last point I wanted to make on the offensive coordinator search is, um, well, Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien are two obvious names um, because, you know, again, the connections to Mike Vrabel, of course, with with both of them. Um, don't forget that I do think Mike Vrabel is willing to go outside the box, outside the organization. And, this, and I'm going to connect this, this connects to the Keith Carter conversation that we just had. Before they uh, uh, replaced Arthur Smith with Todd Downing, people may not recall this. They reached out to Clemson. I think it was wide receiver coach or offensive coordinator at the time, Tony Elliott, right. And and they gauged his interest. Tony Elliott ultimately rejected the job. He's now the head coach at the, I believe the university of Virginia uh, where he went three and seven this year, but it was his first year, I believe as their coach, Tony Elliott's probably not leaving Virginia to come to the Titans, but that's just an example of how Mike Rabel was willing to reach into the collegiate ranks. He also offered the job to Ryan day once upon a time before, Uh, I believe before they hired Matt LaFleur, right? So Again, thinking way outside the box. And how this connects, in my opinion, to the uh, the Keith Carter firing is, look, before they hired Downing and decided to stick with the Arthur Smith, Matt LaFleur, Shanahan, West Coast spread, uh, sorry, outside zone type offense, uh, Tony Elliott was not from that coaching tree and is not from that offense at all. Like Elliott was running the power spread offense at Clemson. Right, which is totally different, obviously, from what the Titans have been running. So the fact that Vrabel was even attempted to have a discussion with a candidate like Tony Elliott, who was going to come from college and was going to run a different system altogether, means Vrabel's at least flirted or tinkered with the idea of moving on uh, from this scheme. And now you've got Downing gone, you've got the offensive line coach gone, that again, there were two big components of this scheme – um, I would not be surprised if we start hearing about some outside the box candidates. It, it, it doesn't automatically mean this is going to be Tim Kelly or Bill O'Brien, and they're going to stay par for the course. I am, I won't be surprised if within the next few days we hear the Titans connected to a candidate that we don't expect at all.
1: Yeah, and and just to you know continue that point, Ryan Day was another guy that was known for like the power spread type stuff, and then they pivoted quickly to Matt Lafleur, who was a totally different style of offense. So right. I don't think Mike Vrabel is like committed to the outside zone scheme by any stretch. And at, while we're on this topic, Eric Frazier, who most people probably have never heard of, was an offensive assistant for the Titans. That's another clue. Him being let go is another clue that maybe they're looking at a totally different scheme. And I do want to talk about um, Anthony Midget's dismissal as well because Man was the Titans secondary uh, a struggle to watch for the majority of this year. We went into the season thinking that they had a strength at cornerback that, you know, regardless of who wins the other outside cornerback job, it can't be worse than uh, than what it was last year. It'll at least be the level of Jackrabbit Jenkins play, you know, and then. Caleb Farley disappoints. Roger McCreary goes through tons of rookie struggles. Terrence Mitchell has to play a lot. He's not good. Trey Avery, undrafted rookie free agent, has to play a lot. He's not good. How much of this was, you know, position coaches not coaching them up? Because one thing that irked me a lot about the Titans defense, watching them this entire season was like, yeah, it's one thing if you're matched up man-to-man coverage and, you, you know, you got Trey Avery against like Stephon Diggs or something and he just beats him. Like, Yeah, that's probably not putting your player in the best position to succeed, but like you're not expecting Trey Avery to cover Stefan Diggs one on one in man coverage, right? What irked me was when they're in zone coverage and they can never seem to scheme up like a well run zone defense. Like I think of all those Colts defenses under Matt Eberflus before he left to become the head coach of the Chicago Bears, and how they ran just like a very simple scheme that was always really effective, zone-based, and they would insert these cornerbacks that you'd never heard of, and they find success. And it just makes me wonder like, why the Titans can't coach up guys to like. Play together in a scheme. Like, it's not necessarily about always winning one on one matchups when you're playing in coverage on defense. It's like just knowing your rules and working as a unit with each other. And maybe, you know, Anthony Midget just wasn't capable of coaching these guys to get to the place they needed to be. And what's interesting is that he and Vrabel worked together in Houston. So, like, Vrabel knew him when he hired him, he had experience working with him. And to then turn around and dismiss him two years later does make you think that, you know, Vrabel was not happy with the performance of the secondary, and he's putting that blame largely on the secondary coach. And does that have to do with Caleb Farley's failure to develop? Does that have to do with Christian Fulton's failure to like stay on the field, which we're going to get to in a little bit when we talk about Mike Vrabel's press conference from Monday? But I don't know. Like This was also a really interesting one because I think all Titans fans saw Todd Downing coming, You know, the firing of Todd Downing coming. I don't know that Titans fans saw these other three dismissals coming. And, um, you know, Keith Carter may be the most surprising, but Anthony Midget is also fairly surprising until you look at the stats and you see the Titans had the worst pass defense in the league this year and they weren't much better last year and they've been pretty bad, you know, even going back to, to 2019 and 2020 also. So, and I don't know.
2: Yeah, the, I'll be honest. I feel I don't feel as strongly about the, the Anthony Midget fighter as I, I do about Keith Carter. I, I've always was pretty impressed with Keith Carter. Um I've always had a, a harder time getting a gauge on midget, and I think you kinda you kinda nailed it. They've invested a lot of resources into the defensive back room, right? Uh you know, the Christian Fulton thing. I I I doubt you can blame Midget for Fulton's struggles to stay healthy, which again we're gonna get into. But then, you know, it, Elijah Molden, you don't get to see him take a step forward this year. I count Elijah Molden as was out for the entire season this year. He played two games. He's out for the whole year, right? Caleb Farley, continues continuously hurt, was terrible when he was on the field, didn't take steps forward. Uh, You know, Roger McCreary took his bumps as a rookie. I I still think he played pretty well, all things considered, the way they – given how much they relied on him, right, 100% of defensive snaps weekly, playing the nickel, playing the boundary – um, but I, no, no, I don't feel strongly that Anthony Nidget did a terrific job. You're right. Vrabel did know him from Houston, was very familiar with his coaching style, obviously, and his methods. Uh, but ultimately, I, I think this is probably a, a fine, you know, fair decision given, uh, I, I, did they finish like dead last two and, and passing yards allowed per contest? Not that I thought that was totally fair because uh, I thought a lot of those were empty calories and, you know, they forced teams to pass. So they were so good stopping the run. And for the most part, the scoring defense was still excellent, right? Despite giving up a lot of yards through the air, but... Ultimately, I, I would be lying if I said I was stunned that Anthony Midgets part of the outgoing group.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i kind of with you. I mean, I, I don't really, I didn't expect it, but I'm not surprised that much, I guess is how I want to say it. What I am surprised is that Craig Ackerman is still on staff. Any thoughts on the Titans special teams coordinator not joining this group of four coaches to be dismissed?
2: No, I mean, uh, I, I think some people thought it would happen. Paul Kuharski somewhere probably questioning, questioning that move, right? Paul's always on the the Craig Ackerman trade, and it's and that's always a fun story. But uh, I mean, Hassan Haskins was an excellent kick returner this year for them. Was one of the best special teams players in the NFL. Ryan Stonehouse was set the single season NFL record for like punt average. So. It's easy to point out some of the bad, but I think there was some good here on special teams as well, right? Again, mainly Ryan Stonehouse and Hassan Hassons were really good. CJ Board looked pretty good for the few games he was healthy as a punt returner. Obviously, they had lots of issues as well, right? Randy Bullock wasn't the most consistent uh, I, I thought they didn't have a – outside of that small sample size with C.J. Board, they struggled to find a punt returner all year long, right? Kyle Phillips started the year as the returner, lost two or three fumbles. I don't know about you. I never had any confidence in Robert Woods back there. What's, I felt like he was going to drop every single punt he fielded, and he did muff a few. I think luckily one or two of them, they bounced out of bounds or whatever as he muffed them. Um, so th- there is a mixed bag for Craig ockerman I don't think it was quite as bad as – as some will have you believe that it wasn't great either, but uh, I don't feel super strong one way or the other in all honesty.
1: Yeah. Same. I thought that, you know, the Titan special teams had some struggles covering, but for the most part, they did a pretty good job. We, we saw those like hype up moments with Dylan Cole, like rushing down the field and crushing the Packers return man at like the 15 yard line. And they had some pretty good plays too. And obviously Stonehouse set the record for uh punting average for punting, average for punting net by a rookie for most 60 yard punts in a season. Like, that means the special teams coordinator is doing something right. Obviously, the punter is great, and the rookie looks like he's going to have a bright future as the Titans' punter. But he's also receiving the right coaching. So I think that, you know, if if the special teams struggle in in certain areas again next year, then maybe look to make a change. But overall, I don't really disagree with the decision to keep Craig Ackerman. What should we talk about next? You want to do Mike Vrabel's press conference, or should we get into the eight? reported general manager candidates the Titans will be interviewing for their vacant position.
2: You know, let's break up the uh, some of the firings and, and and hirings. Let's go into Mike Vrabel's press conference and then get into GM candidates.
1: So a couple of interesting points from the press conference that I want to mention. The first was about You know what would happen with Todd Downing. And we now know, we already discussed that he mentioned like the loyalty thing and that performance and that his loyalty lies with doing what's best for the football team and not about being loyal to coaches. And we've obviously seen that play out now over the few hours since the press conference. Um, Another interesting thing that Mike Vrabel said was that Ryan Tannehill, all he wants is for Tannehill to get healthy and come back and be the Titans starting quarterback next year. Now, with no general manager in place, it's hard to know You know how much say Mike Vrabel will even have in whether or not Ryan Tannehill will be back, and the the cap number will have a lot to do with that, and the potential options. You know, with Chicago securing the number one overall pick and possibly being open for business to do trades, like would the Titans entertain the idea of going up to number one and picking a Bryce Young or somebody to be the quarterback of the future? Who knows? So right now, Mike Vrabel says Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback. We've seen coaches and general managers say things like that all the time, and then you know, we, what was the Arizona said that Josh Rosen was our quarter is our quarterback. And then a month later drafted Kyla Murray, number one overall. Right. So like what coaches say at this time of year about certain players, like not exactly sure if you can always trust it, but Mike Vrabel did say he wants Ryan Tannehill back next year. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah. I, I don't know how much stock you can put into it. Right. I I do think Mike Vrabel's always been a fan. Of ryan tannehill, I think he 's always you know publicly defended him, and i 've always felt it was genuine right i 've always felt that Mike Rabel does think ryan tannehill's a a a, a good you know nFL starting quarterback i also don 't know we can put a ton of stock into what he says at these end of season press conferences right He also said he was going to take multiple days right i think to meet with the staff and Three hours later, Todd Downing was fired or, or less than that even, right? So I don't know how much stock we can put into that. I, I think also to connect it to our eventual, our next segment here, um, I imagine the new GM might have a fair say on Ryan Tannehill and the team's quarterback situation, right? And we don't know how much control Vibril going to maintain over the roster, um, you know, after they hire a general manager that we might be able to gauge some of that based on who they hire. Right. If they're hiring a a yes man for Vrabel or if they're really hiring a guy with some, you know, some experience under his belt, that's expected to, as Miss Amy Adam Strunk said several times, collaborate with Mike Vrabel. But ultimately, I I think it's it's tough to say right now um, where they're at with Ryan Tannehill, especially without a GM in place.
1: Yeah, agreed. All right, I'm going to move on to the next interesting point here. And this one's a kind of a minor one, but it will be interesting to see how the Titans look at constructing next year's roster. So Mike Vrabel said they want to be tough, physical and fast. He said, rarely were we the fastest team on the field. The Titans have had a big speed deficiency for basically as long as John Robinson has been the general manager. I mean, he hasn't really targeted those crazy speed athletes that you see, the freaks that you see at the combine as much he targeted good football players right and that was kind of a big a big deal coming off of the Rustin Webster era where he almost exclusively targeted size speed freaks and didn't really get great football players Mike Grable wants more speed on this team how much like how much stock do you put into this comment again without a general manager who you expect to make most of the personnel decisions in place I,
2: I put a lot more stock into this one because uh, I don't think there's going to be a general manager that comes in here and says, "I hate speed. This team needs to get slower, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, this team needs to get slower." I, I I think when you look at this team, it's painfully obvious that they they need speed, right? Like we attached ourselves to Racy McMath in training camp because he looked like the only guy that had speed, right? When you're dealing with uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine, and Cody Hollister. And Chris Conley and Jeff Swain and Austin Hooper, it's painfully obvious the skill position group lacks speed, right? At every position, even, even running back, in all honesty, right? Running back, wide receiver, tight end, they didn't have any speed, right? So uh, I think it's really important. And I think I was glad Rabel pointed that out. And it, it gives you an idea maybe when looking at free agency and the NFL draft, which you and I will do a lot over these next few months, it'll help us identify who might be some potential targets, especially at wide
1: receiver. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, let's get into what was, in my opinion, the most interesting comment that Vrabel made throughout his 30 minute long press conference on Monday. He was asked uh, very directly when you look at all the injuries you've seen over the last two years, do you just say, man, that's bad luck, or is there something different you can do? And I'm going to play for you all now Mike Vrabel's answer to this question. Here is, it was actually a long answer, it was about a three minute long answer. Here's part one of that answer.
0: You know, we have to address it. We have to at least look at it, and we are, and we have, and we do it every every single day, you know, that I meet with Todd, that we meet with Frank, that we're trying to figure out what these injuries are, Gentry, and I know that everybody, you know, has got the answers. I don't know if I have the answers on, you know, the 90% of the injuries occurred in the game, right, Um of an ACL or an MCL or a high ankle sprain, I mean those, those are hard. You know, we look at soft tissue injuries. We look at those soft tissue injuries of uh, you know repeat offenders. You know, I mean it doesn't take too hard to look and see that you know Christian Fulton and, and David Long are you know I mean they're repeat offenders of soft tissue injuries. They have to figure out a way to, to train and act like you know this is the game is played at a, at a high speed. Kevin Byard hadn't pulled a hamstring since we've been here. You know what I mean? And as there's, there's a durability factor to playing professional football that we should not overlook.
1: Wow. Christian Fulton and David long taking shots from the head coach and notice he knocks on wood there as he says, Kevin Byard hasn't pulled a hamstring, not trying to jinx the all pro safety. So what do you make of this comment? I mean, the Vrabel went on. I can play the the rest of the answer if you want me to about like, do you want to be a blister? Do you want to be a callus? Talking about like if you you know if you stop pressing yourself at the first sign of discomfort, you're just going to develop blisters. If you push through the discomfort, you'll develop a callus. And I think it's it's another minute worth of of him talking, so I don't really need to play that. But seems like there are guys on this roster that Mac Vrabel doesn't think. Want to tough out some of these injuries, and he, you know, he said at the beginning of that answer, they're like, you can't really control ACLs, MCLs, ankle sprains, but the soft tissue stuff, you know, it's a high-speed game. You gotta, you know, you gotta be willing to put your body through some discomfort to play at a high level. Directly calling out Christian Fulton and David Long. I don't know if it's
2: as much about toughing out as it is about preparing your body, right? In the way yeah, you okay. prepare and, and the way you work, right? But I I will say, and I don't want to give my, I'm not going to give myself any credit, but I am 100% in lockstep with Mike Vrabel on the comments he made, not just about the players, but injuries in general, because it's easy to sit here and analyze the team and say, how the hell. Have they been the most injured team two years in a row? Fair question to ask. But I do think when you look at ACLs, MCLs, even concussions, even though he didn't mention concussions specifically, I do think he would place concussions in the same bucket as ACLs. And what he meant by that is these are injuries you can't really control. Right? And the Titans have had a lot of them, in all honesty, right? Harold Landry tore his ACL. Dylan Raiden tore his ACL. Taylor Lewan tore his ACL. Traylon Burks has a concussion where he gets hit in the head in the end zone on dangerous play uh, by an Eagles safety. Ben Jones has two concussions. You can't control these, and I totally agree with that. But when it comes to the soft tissue stuff, and what's he talking about? Hamstrings, groins, things of that nature. Those are some of the ones where sometimes you feel like you can control, and you question if that's a result of how you prepared or how you failed to prepare right? For the vigors of an NFL season. Yeah. And when you look at Christian Fulton, I wrote about this uh, for broadwaysportsmedia.com, shameless plug on a premium article. I wrote about five uh, uh, off-season needs for the Titans. I ranked them one to five position, uh, positionally. And I talked about Christian Fulton. He's played in 24 of the last 34 Titans games, right? He all of a sudden feels like a guy that is going to miss four or five games every year. And it's always going to be with a hamstring or a groin. I didn't do the same research on David Long, but I, you know he, he missed the last, whatever, four or five games of it, or more than four, because he was already eligible to be activated off IR. So he missed at least five games at the end of this year where they really could have used them. And he missed a couple of games in the middle of last year. I think, I don't know why I remember this, but didn't he get hurt in that Rams game, like that, that um, the first game without Derrick Henry? And then he missed several weeks. So he's yeah. another guy. Um, that's been hurt, right? Two years in a row, and those are two of your, your better defenders. He didn't mention Amani Hooker, but he's also been a guy that that's at times had to come out of the lineup, right? With with non you know concussions, non ACLs, non high ankle sprains, things of that nature. So. Um, I'm 100% in agreement with him. I think they do have to look at injuries here, but you don't look at the ACLs and the concussions because those are a result of football being a violent physical sport. I don't think there's anything you can really do to prevent tearing your ACL or prevent, certainly prevent getting a concussion. But there are things you can prevent – um, from happening when it comes to groins and hamstrings. And I, I love that he brought up Kevin Byard because throughout the years, shout out to Jason Spray, uh, a strength and conditioning guy in, in the local Tennessee area who's been training Kevin Byard in the offseason for a number of years. And I've, I, I, I can go back three, four years, dig up articles I wrote where I interviewed Jason Spray. And I talked about this, avoiding hamstrings, avoiding soft tissues, how he prepares his guys for this. And he's always talked to me about you know, and I'm not an expert in this field. And again, these interviews are, I'd have to dig them up, but he talks about like doing, you know, stability training. It's Jason sprays a big believer. And it's not about lifting heavy. It's not always about lifting weights, right? It's preventing the soft tissues. It's mobility, it's range, right? And, and it's, and I know that's how he trains Kevin Byard. And it's so interesting to hear Mike Vrabel bring up Kevin Byard as a guy that hasn't had a hamstring issue the whole time he's been here. So I do think there are things, and I look, I don't know what Christian Fulton, David Long, I don't know what their off-season training regimen looks like, but the fact that Mike Rabel called them out, he probably has a pretty good inkling, a pretty good feeling that he's not thrilled with the way that they prepare and train their bodies.
1: Yeah, and so it makes you wonder, you know, with David Long set to be a free agent, what is his future on this team? Do you have a, a replacement in-house for him? Is Jack Gibbons and Monty Rice going to be your starting inside linebackers in 2023? There's a lot of off to make changes there. But you definitely wonder because when David Long is on the field, he's a terrific player and and one of the higher level defenders the Titans have. Christian Fulton, you could say the same thing. But you you get run over by A.J. Brown and called for pass interference and don't play again until the season finale. There's going to be questions about your future on the team.
2: Yeah, the David Long thing I think is especially interesting, and we'll get into this more in the coming weeks when we start doing free agency stuff, but I don't think they have a like for like replacement for him on the roster right now. I think Jack Gibbons and Monty Rice are very similar players, right? And I I like one of those guys to replace Zach Cunningham and the other one being the backup for the one that doesn't win the starting job, right? But in relation to David Long, I don't think you have anyone. And the last thing this team needs to do is create more holes on this roster when they need to be focused so much on getting offensive players but at the same time they may not be willing to resign a guy to 8 million a year, 9 million a year, 10 million a year whatever David Long's going to command when they if they don't have a lot of faith in his ability to stay healthy. So I do think that conversation regarding David
1: Long just got really interesting. Right. When you when you go into the season assuming that you're going to be playing his backup for 5 to 6 games throughout the year, then you wonder like is it worth even bringing him back at all? So we'll see how that plays out. We'll see how a lot of things play out over the coming weeks including the Titans search for general manager. I'm going to run through this list and then we can go by, the, by through them one by one if you want to. I don't know a lot about any of these people. The Titans have currently been linked to eight GM candidates that they have requested or scheduled interviews with, including two men from the uh, San Francisco 49ers, the Director of Player Personnel, Ran Carthen, what a name, and the Assistant General Manager, Adam Peters, who has a very good reputation around the league, Brown's Assistant General Manager, Glenn Cook, Bears Assistant General Manager, Ian Cunningham, who also has a great reputation around the league, was was named on the 40 Men Shaping the Future of the League Under 40 Years Old article that came out a couple years ago. Um, Bill's Director of Player Personnel, Malik Boyd, obviously, you know, you look at some of these teams, like the 49ers and the Bills, and you're like, those are really well-run organizations. You probably wouldn't mind taking somebody from those organizations. Then you have like Browns and Bears, and you're like, eh, I don't know. Don't. It's it's hard to like not scout the, the team that they came from when you're trying to look at who these men are. But, you know, if you look at a tweet Mike Herndon sent out earlier today and where all these, you know, really good general managers came from, it's like it doesn't really matter always what organization they came from. And you look at like John Robinson came from the New England Patriots. You're like, oh, he's going to be a great GM. And he was pretty good for a few years, but obviously, you know, not ultimately good enough. All right, continuing with my list Arizona Cardinals vice president of player personnel, Quentin Harris. And then the two internal candidates, Monty Fort, and the current interim general manager of the Tennessee Titans, Ryan Cowden. What do you know about these guys? Is there anyone on the list who stands out to you? Um, And yeah, I mean, do you like how how much information can we possibly have on some of these guys? Like these guys work in the shadows, assistant GM, like who knows how much say they have, how much input they have into certain operations for the teams they work for.
2: Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back if I can, uh, if you give me a moment, because I wrote an article on December 6th, uh, three external candidates, the Titans could look to hire at general manager. Um, and I did all that was again all external, so I didn't look at Austin Fort or uh, Cowden. And two of the three that I had wrote about, um, they requested interviews with today. And one of them was uh, Rand Carthen with the San Francisco 49ers, and the other was Ian Cunningham um, with the Chicago Bears. So I will talk about two of them the most because, I, again, I, I did quite a bit of research on them a, a month ago when someone sort of put them on my radar as guys that that were up and comers. Uh, Carthen's an ex player. Uh, entered the league as a UDFA in 04 only lasted 3 years in the league retired in 06 then became an area scout for the Atlanta Falcons where he worked under uh Thomas uh, Dimitrov, I believe it's pronounced I always liked uh, Thomas Dimitrov in Atlanta I thought he did a, a good job as GM he was the GM there when they were you know pretty pretty competitive right uh, Super in the Matt team. Ryan years Super Bowl team. And then uh, when, he, when he left there, he went to work for Les Sneed and the Los Angeles Rams, right? So I think he did some good work there before eventually landing uh, nearby in the Bay Area with San Francisco. Obviously, the 49ers are a team that have built an elite roster, right? And they've done it without an, uh, without an elite quarterback which I think is very impressive, right? So I, I think he's helped John Lynch, obviously, quite a bit in that area. They've been to a Super Bowl. They've been to an NFC Championship game. They're 13-4 and four this year, that, you know, down to their third-string quarterback, right, in Brock Purdy. So I, I think Rand Carthen is certainly an intriguing name. I think Adam Peters is in another another intriguing name. Comes from the same organization, the San Francisco 49ers. One thing I pointed out on Twitter that, that got some decent uh, traction on there was uh, Adam Peters was in New England um, in the front office, or in the scouting department, when Mike Rabel was still playing for the Patriots. Oh, I wow. found that pretty interesting. So there there could be a notable connection there, even though we've never really heard his name as like, a, you know, New England sort of, uh, you know, uh, an ex-Patriots disciple, so to speak. But he was there. Uh, and then I got a lot of people in my mentions saying, oh, another ex-New England guy. But I want to nip that in the butt real quickly, because number one, I thought John Robinson was the main catalyst of Tennessee's ex-New England obsession. John Robinson's no longer here. Right, whereas I'm sure Vrabel has an appreciation for it. I don't think he was quite as hell bent on it as Robinson was at times. And Peters was only there for like five years, right? He's he's not one of those guys that was there for 20 years like Nick Casario was or Josh McDaniels and all these other, you know, uh, 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 Dave Ziegler's the other one, uh, GM uh, in Vegas. But he left New England. This is important to remember if you're just ready to rip him to shreds because of uh, because he worked for the Patriots. He left New England, went to Denver. Where he, he ended up winning a Super Bowl, right? With the, during the Peyton Manning years. He's now then left Denver, landed in San Francisco, has obviously done a pretty good job with this 49ers team as well. In fact, I had read something on Twitter where a lot of 49ers faithful believe Peters is actually more responsible for the roster than John Lynch is, right? John mm-hmm. Lynch obviously being the next player who didn't have any previous um, uh, experience, right? I talked, as, to as
1: a guy. I talked to a 49ers fan in the office at the NFL today. He actually runs the NFL fantasy football social accounts. Who confirmed that thought, that that is a pervasive thought amongst 49ers fans? So that's interesting.
2: Interesting. So I, I think both those guys really intrigue me. The third and final one that really intrigues me, who was the, I did not identify Peters in my article a month ago. So the third, the other one that I did identify was Ian Cunningham, right? Who's the Chicago Bears' assistant general manager. Probably a lot of Titans fans going, well, the Bears have the number one pick in the NFL draft and they're awful. So why would he, Ian Cunningham be on their radar? Look, number one, um, he's only been there one year, right? He just completed his first season as the assistant GM. And let's be honest, the bears always positioned this year as let's get ready for 2023. They got like a hundred billion dollars in cap space. They've got the number one pick in the draft. Uh, This was all about getting ready. The bears weren't, trying to field a real legitimate winning team in 2022 let's be honest this was all about preparing for the future this was the year where they were laying the groundwork done if you ask me looks like they did a great job number one in the draft 100 million dollars in cap space and a quarterback that looks like it's probably a franchise quarterback in justin fields before this year, Ian Cunningham did some good work with the Philadelphia Eagles, was only there for a few years, but certainly I think helped um, uh, Howie Roseman lay the foundation right, for what's now a winning organization. They've got the number one seed in the NFC. Again, even though he wasn't there this year, the work didn't start this year, right? It started several years ago, and that's why you've got a winning team. And and on top of that, this is a guy that cut his teeth under Ozzie Newsom in Baltimore. Ozzie Newsome, one of the greatest general managers, certainly of the last 30, 40 years, excellent work uh, in Baltimore. The fact that he saw something in a very young, inexperienced uh, Ian Cunningham and hired him. I believe he made him the Southwest Area Scout for... Uh, For the Ravens, which included his alma mater, Alabama, that's, that's sorry, that's Ozzie Newsom's alma mater, right? So the fact that Newsom trusted Cunningham uh, to uh, scout Alabama, I think says a lot about the faith he put in him. Um, So I think those are the three guys that stick out the most to me when I look at this search. Um, I think they'll probably end up being your three favorites, at least if they go external-wise. A couple of quick comments on some of the other external candidates. I don't know a lot about uh, the the gentleman from the Buffalo Bills, but I will say it's very obvious that the Buffalo Bills have fielded a winning team uh, pretty much every single year uh, since he joins. He's a senior director of pro personnel. He joined in 2017. One thing I will say about him as a compliment uh, to Malik Boyd is he was hired by Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, um, the, the same year Bean got the job in Buffalo as the GM. That's in 2017. I think Brandon Bean is an excellent general manager. The fact that he got hired and he immediately went out and hired Malik Boyd to be his right-hand man, I think that does speak volumes of Malik Boyd. And th- they've obviously done a terrific job together in Buffalo. The gentleman in Arizona is a sixth uh, external candidate. His name is Quentin Harris. I would ultimately be really surprised If he ends up getting this job, mainly because it feels like he's almost a shoe in for the job in Arizona, right? Where he currently is. Their general manager, Steve Kime has stepped down from the role. They fired head coach Cliff Kingsbury. And it seems like they want to promote from within. It seems like they want to promote from within on the GM front. I believe he's been co-GMing duties uh, since Kaim stepped away a few weeks ago due to health reasons with a former player, Adrian Wilson. So it seems like they might want to keep those two guys in place. It seems like they want to promote from within a head coach, Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator. There's a strong candidate to be the next head coach. So I would be really shocked if this gentleman here, Quentin Harris, became a legitimate candidate in Tennessee. Feels like he is where he's going to stay put. And last but not least, I'm, I'm almost out of breath here. I'm, I'm going to comment on Monty Austin Ford and Ryan Cowden. Um, I, I think it makes sense they're interviewing both. I'm certainly not surprised they're interviewing both. They're casting a wide net. This is me totally speculating. I, I think if they felt really, really strongly about Austin Ford and Cowden... Would they have already identified six external candidates? That might be a ridiculous thing for me to say because you should be casting a wide net regardless. But I just get this inkling that if, if they felt super uh you know strongly about keeping Cowden or keeping Austin Fort, then we wouldn't have heard of six additional names already.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that it's great to see them doing their due diligence because you know the last couple times they had to hire somebody, whether it was head coach or general manager, you know the Titans received some criticism for not doing their due diligence, yeah. not casting a wide net, interviewing the minimum number of candidates that they could. You know there was the whole f- infamous deal with John Robinson where it was like you can be our general manager, but only if you agree to work with uh with Mike Malarkey as your head coach. Then the Mike Vrabel search, it felt like you know I'm not saying that they ended up with a bad result, but the process there wasn't great. It felt like Vrabel was their guy from the beginning and they only interviewed other people because they had to fulfill a Rooney rule and they wanted to like look like they interviewed more than two candidates, right? So and they ended up with Mike Vrabel after like four interviews, like two days after he interviewed. Like it was a very fast process I like that they're taking a different approach here, and I do agree. I think that you know, if they felt super strongly about these two guys, we would see a similar process. To what we saw with Mike Vrabel, where like they knew Vrabel was their guy, they had to conduct the interviews they had to conduct for the purposes of fulfilling all the rules, um, but then they went with Vrabel. If it was the same case with Austin Ford or Ryan Cowden, you know, they they'd conduct a couple other interviews, see what's out there, and then go with the guy that they already know they like. I'm glad they're not doing that. It's also worth pointing out Austin Fort has a couple other interviews that have been requested already around the league too. So they might not even, you know, they might lose him before they have the chance to, to promote him. Both of them, right? I think Austin Ford has been named
2: this year for the Arizona Cardinals opening. And then both Austin Ford and Cowden definitely were interviewed by multiple franchises last offseason. I can't remember which ones exactly interviewed where, but I know the Pittsburgh Steelers, Minnesota Vikings, and New York Giants. So I've got a good memory. Those three organizations interviewed some combination of Cowden and Austin Ford last year. Last point I want to make on those two, they're both John Robinson guys. Right. John True. Robinson hired both of them, and that's another reason why I don't feel great about their chances. And, and Austin Ford specifically um, worked with Robinson in New England. So he's a John Robinson guy through and through. Cowden did not, which surprised me. Um, uh, he was hired, I believe, from the Carolina Panthers, but he was still a John Robinson hire. So both of them are sort of John Robinson guys, especially Austin Ford because of the Patriots connections. Uh so I I I do wonder um if this is going to be an external hire and I'm starting to get the feeling that it will be.
1: Yeah, I think it will be too and I'm kind of rooting for it to be honestly a, the fan in me says go get somebody with fresh ideas and a fresh vision for how to construct this roster. I feel the same way about office coordinator as, as you know good or bad as Tim Kelly might be. Go get somebody fresh and you know an interesting idea that was floated by our buddy Tyworth He said, what if you hire Ian uh, Cunningham as the general manager, you hire Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator, and uh, Ian Cunningham, currently with the Bears, has a relationship obviously with Ryan Poles, actually Ryan Poles' roommate uh, for a bit while they were waiting for their families to move to Chicago, um, has a great relationship with the Bears general manager. You trade the number one pick to, you know, Ryan Poles trades the number one pick to his buddy, Ian Cunningham in Tennessee. You hire Bill O'Brien, who's currently Bryce Young's offensive coordinator at Alabama. Make the transition to the NFL super easy for him. What a perfect match marriage that would be for all parties involved. I mean, I'm not necessarily rooting for Bill O'Brien, but I am rooting for Bryce Young (laughs) to come to the (laughs) Titans in some form or fashion. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the draft, but what an interesting scenario that would be.
2: I will say it is an interesting scenario. Very good dot connecting by, by our buddy Ty on Twitter. Uh, I I will say I can't imagine Ryan Poles would be uh, very inclined to give his buddy a discount on that number one pick. If you're if you're moving up from number eleven to number one, uh, that's going to be an e- e- expensive expensive trade up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, we will talk. Even, even if you shared a bathroom with the guy once upon a time and you had the little toothbrush holder and your toothbrush was next to his, <laughs> I, I imagine Poles uh, would do the best job he could to get multiple first and second round picks out of his buddy.
1: Another. Sp- scenario that I don't want. I mean, we have so much time to talk about the draft and we'll talk about, should the Titans stick and pick at 11? Should they make a move for a quarterback? What should they do? Should they draft Bijan Robinson? Of course they should. We'll talk about all of it, but let me float another scenario out there for you. You want multiple first round picks to go up and get number one overall trade Ryan Tannehill to, I don't know the New York jets. I don't know somebody that needs a quarterback, get a first round pick, use that first round pick along with number 11 to go up to number one. Maybe throw in a future second or third. Get Bryce Young. You don't need Tannehill if you get Bryce Young. Eh? What about that for a draft scenario? Again, we'll have so much time to talk about this over the coming months. But uh, anything else you want to say right now about about Todd Downing, about Mike Gravel's press conference, about the Jags' loss, anything before we close out this pretty long season recap episode? I mean, we could have done, like, a season debrief where we go through, like, the best moments and blah de blah blah But, like, honestly, I think this, this is a pretty good pod. No, this is way better. In all honesty, like there's a
2: lot that happened. We be like the GM thing happened on Monday, right? That's where they they announced they were going to start the process to interview, and then we got eight candidates out of nowhere. And then they fired Todd Downing. This is a, this is what we had to talk about on this episode: offensive coordinator, GM. Um, all I'll say is it's it's, it's certainly interesting. Um, we don't know which direction this franchise is going, and I think there's a lot of unknowns at both the GM position and uh, from what Mike Vrabel might do from an offensive coordinator standpoint. Again. He might stay in-house, or he could go uh, outside the organization and totally um, in- incite uh, what would be a philosophical shift offensively for this team. There's a lot of unknowns. I'm super excited to cover it with you this offseason. Uh, by next episode, I imagine we'll have some names floated out there uh, at Offensive Coordinator. We'll, we might know more about the general manager hiring process and other things. So this is going to be, a, I think, a really, really interesting offseason in Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I man, I'll just close by by piggybacking off that point to say that we will have the content. You know, last few years we've had playoffs to get us through January into February, right? This year we don't have that, but we have all these, you know, GM search, offensive coordinator search, O-line coach, less important, but still something that has to happen. And we're gonna be keeping up with all of it right here on the Music City Audible Podcast. So thankful to the Titans for making these staff changes because it gives us the content that we need, but it also moves the team in the right direction going forward. Vrabel well said they were at a crossroads seven weeks ago or six weeks ago, whatever that was. Uh looks like they or maybe that was only four weeks ago. Whenever they were at the crossroads, looks like they're at another crossroads right now with the direction of this franchise can go and we'll see where it takes us. All right, that will take us to our beef of the week. The last thing we will do on this episode before we say goodbye, presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. Do you have a beef of the week on the top of your head, Justin? Hit me. My beef of the week is going to be with that Mike
2: Vrabel, a a specific quote he made in the press conference earlier on Monday. We talked about a lot of the quotes, a lot of good stuff, right, on relation to loyalty to his coaching staff, the injury stuff we got into with David Long and Christian Fulton. One comment that kind of made me do a double take where I'm like, that's a stupid thing to bring up and say right now, in my opinion. They asked him about the offense, lack of success, yada, yada. And he brought up Derrick Henry's fumbles. I I don't know if you caught that in the press conference where he said, we gave it to our, you know, we give it to our best player and he put the ball on the ground more than, than he typically did or does. He's got a fair point. Like, look, Henry had a fumbling issue towards the end of this year and he's got to nip that in the bud. Henry's got to figure out where that came from and put a stop to it. I just can't imagine thinking of that, those fumbles when I think of the failure of this offense this year. Like he was essentially, Rabel was essentially asked to summarize the offensive failures. Henry fumbling is like number three. 376 on my totem pole of issues that I have with this offense. I talk about not – I, and I th- I, in fairness, I think he did mention this, but I think about not protecting the quarterback, but I, I think of Dennis Daly at left tackle and all the injuries on the O-line and, and even NPS struggling at right tackle. I think of coming into the season with a, a, a really a joke of a, a group of receivers, right? Like trading A.J. Brown in the off season, not fielding an NFL level group of wide receivers. Like I think of play calling and Todd Downing. And obviously he thought of that, he fired Todd Downing, right? But just in that moment, to bring up Derek Henry's fumbles, I, I thought it was really strange and unnecessary, almost uncharacteristic of Rabel. Um, so that's my beef for the week. I thought it was crazy that he brought up Henry's fumbles in relation to this offensive st- struggles.
1: You know what? That's so good. I'm gonna just let it live and uh, let it breathe. There. Well, it was weird. Why? Why did he bring up that? And you know what? I'll also I'll also throw in Mike Rabel, Um just kind of saying you know definitively that he wants ryan Tannehill back just say like we don't know where the roster will take us because you know what ryan Tannehill. as much as i love him he's a tough great quarterback he's been great for tennessee like ultimately he ain't on the level josh allen patrick mahomes joe burrow justin herbert some of the you know the young greats that are going to be taking over the league over the next few years titans got to get one of those guys if they really want to compete i think mike Vrabel knows that and um I don't know. We'll see what the Titans do in the draft this year or, or, you know, the, the quarterback market, there's going to be guys on the move. Garoppolo Carr, Tannehill could be one of those guys on the move as well. So we'll see how it all shakes out. All right, that will do it for this episode of the music city audible podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening all season long. We appreciate you guys. Thanks to the pharmacy, burger parlor and beer garden for being our presenting sponsor of this season that will continue throughout the off season. So make sure you're checking out the pharmacy tell them the music city audible sent you follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl you can follow me at titans film room be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com and become a broadway insider
2: yeah become a broadway insider today it's 6.99 a month you could use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 cents, or use the code ANNUAL uh, for f- a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts. Uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F-words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it.
1: And check out all the other podcasts and content that Broadway has to offer. We'll be back next week with hopefully some updates on the Titans general manager search. And who knows, maybe on the offensive coordinator search. We will see what happens, but final thing i want to say shout out to the houston texans you played yourselves you don't have the number one pick thank you lovey smith who was also fired on sunday all right that's it we'll be back next week until then y'all stay safe out there and tighten up a
2: broadway sports media production